Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. I'm going to read from Ezekiel and um, yeah, let's read from Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, verses 26, 27. And then we're going into chapter 37 to read some verses there. Um, again, we're continuing on with this series of awakening. We're joining with four other churches. And um, this morning in their church, we're all preaching from the same portion of scripture. We're doing it our way, our style. But it's with that motivation just to set aside our agenda and try to say, what really, God, what is it you need to do in our land? So verse chapter 36, verses 26, 27 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will. Okay, so it's really important to emphasize that I will. There's only one source of this new heart. I will give you a new spirit and a new heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put a spirit in you that you will want to follow my word. We go on to read in chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, and he asked me, and this is the question, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, only you really know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. I was commanded as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone, I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a fast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open up your graves. I'm going to bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord 
When I open your graves, I will bring you up from them and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. So the link of the breath is the spirit of God and I will sell in you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I've spoken and I've done it, declares the Lord. So this is the, the people of God. This is the remnant. This is the, these guys who've been trailed off to Babylon and they're in captivity. Uh, and it's this cycle again. And we've been talking about this cycle of when you're placed in a situation and you're surrounded by other gods and other faiths and other situations, will what surrounds you dictate how you live or will the person who loves you dictate who you become? So it's this whole story. And it's this picture of peer pressure. The peer pressure goes like this. A parent says, out of a loving, compassionate, wants the best for your heart, this is the way you should live. This is the sort of things you should do. These are the sort of, no, I'm just giving you a heads up. If you go down that way, it won't end good. But you listen to the voices around you instead of the voice that loves you. And that's so many of our stories in this room. It's something that we all do and it's something that we all give into. And this was happening in this context. These people were put in a situation and the voice that was surrounding them was stronger than any other voice, including the voice of God. And the voice that you listen to is the voice that you follow. The voice that you listen to is the voice that you follow. So they were listening to these voices. And I want to put it into our context. It was truth versus feelings. Uh, To set a bit of a context of the culture we live in that is so overruled by feelings. Recently, Sharon and I went out for a meal and yeah, it was one of those like, we don't get too many of them. I'm just going to whine a wee moment here. Yeah, yeah. We don't get to spend too much time. No. We went out for a meal and we were having a date and we were sitting across the table. We had a great starter. Everything was good. Sharon was overwhelmed by my beauty and, you know, all those things. Just a typical day out. And so we're sitting there and we, our main course comes. Sharon, it was just before Christmas, Sharon had ordered the turkey and ham and I'd gone for salmon because turkey and ham once a year is good. Beyond that, keep it. So the salmon comes out and I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Everybody in the room is confident that salmon has scales? Okay, well mine had a her. Okay, I'm not going to milk it too much because it will come back. Okay, it didn't have scales, had a long black hair running through the flesh. Now, Ivan, I figured out that fish, doesn't ha- fish don't have her. Okay, so that was good. So we're sitting there and I sort of trying to be the guy who does the nice thing. And so I called over uh, the, where the waitress as he passed and she said, uh, is everything okay? And I went, I'm just trying not to make a big deal out of this, but if you'd look at my plate. Um, and she went, oh no, look, your fish has a her. And, and so she went and got the manager, the manager. She comes down, the manager comes down and speaks to me. And she says, well, it's not my her. I'm thinking, you know, it's not my her. Uh, and, and, you know, and we're having this moment. And she's like, well, well, I can't think of anybody in our staff that has long black hair. As I'm looking around the room and three other staff have long black hair. And, and, and she's going through this whole motion. And by the time she had finished, I was almost like going, I'm really sorry that I just didn't eat the her in the salmon. She made me feel that I was wrong. And that's the culture we live in. It's a culture that's not based on the facts that if you order a meal and a salmon, you don't get her with it. That's not acceptable. But if someone transfers their feelings to you, all of a sudden, 
you believe you're wrong. Feelings have such power. And we live in this culture, and they lived in this culture, where it wasn't about facts, it wasn't about the fact that we are people, that by the hearing of the word of, the God, of God, our faith is built up. We become those people of faith, not because of what we think or feel, but because of what we know. The word of God stands forever. And so we, we see these people, perhaps like us, these people who would come to a place where, well, because of their choices, everybody in the room happy with your choices lead you somewhere? Yeah, so they lead you somewhere. So there's power in choice. These guys, well, they led them to a place where they would become rebellious, obstinate, hardened or rigid, no, inflexible and stubborn. The complete opposite of the picture in Jeremiah 18 where we're supposed to be these people of clay where God can like slap us on the wheel and just mold us into his image and those sort of things. That, that's who we're supposed to be, but these guys were the complete opposite. Uh, in fact, in Ezekiel 3, 68, this is how they're described. Surely if I had sent them to you, they would have listened to me. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. Uh, and he's sort of saying, don't take it personally, because they are not willing to listen to me. In other words, no, it's not they're not willing to listen to you. They're just not willing to listen to me um, because, well, the Israelites are just hardened and obstinate. Well, 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 there's lots of things in this. You know, if you're a leader in the room and you're thinking to yourself, they just don't listen to me when I teach them God's word. No, they just don't listen to God. And, and so we deliver truth. The picture here is that stubborn as a mule You'll have heard the saying, stubborn as a mule, and, and are mules stubborn? Uh, that was my Google search. Uh, no, I am a city boy. I know nothing about farming, you know. Uh, who knows? But what I got to was some farming weekly blog where they talked about, you no, know, how that these guys have got a bad press. No, mules are, no, they're hard done by. They're not really that stubborn. And what it turns out is that mules just have their own perspective, and so if someone's leading them and they hear a rustle, they think, oh, I'm in danger. And they say, I'm not going any further. So what they do is they just sit down. Now, the person who's leading them might say, no, no, there's good stuff up here. There's food. There's, no, I'm going to put you down for the night. No, put you, no. I'm going to allow you to sleep for the night. I'm going to do all of these things. And, and, and you know, I, all of this good stuff's lying ahead. And the just mule goes, well, my perspective doesn't agree with yours. So it sits down. And it's incredible because that's how it happens with God's people. It's like God's trying to lead us into all of this stuff, all of these plans he has for us, these purposes, calling, all of those things. And it's like, I know, but I don't agree. And so we sit down and we become these stubborn mules. The tag that would be put alongside the Israelites would be stiff-necked. And again, we're going to go a bit farming here, and it comes from the oxen. And what would happen is some guy plowing a field. This is a city boy plowing a field. Ply, ply. And so there are two oxen, and we're plowing a field. And one hand is sort of steering it with the leather straps. And, and so we're walking along. And if the, the oxen, we need to turn it, and it doesn't turn, we would have taken out a stick called a goad and it was a long stick with a spike on it and you poke the oxen 
and the oxen you know, are supposed to turn or go straight or just come in the line. And, and, and this is where when Paul the Apostle is, is converted on, uh, on this amazing moment where Jesus comes in front of him and says to him, why do you press against the goads? Because it's this sense of God all along this process of, come on, I, I love you. I, ju- I just want you to live for me. Uh, you're, you're, you're like my son. I want to I be your father. And, and it's like, why do you resist these things? And so the children of Israel were like Paul the Apostle. And if we're all honest in the room, a bit like us sometimes. Stiff-necked. The other image of stiff-necked is this, that... I just so want someone to do this now. So, oh no. Um, so if you stand like this and you remain stiff neck, you can't bow. Do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to fall. But if you remain stiff necked, you can't bow. And there's a posture to keeping right before God. In a medical world, uh, there's a, a practice called postural drainage. And you're thinking, what's this got to do with the Bible? Well, what I've realized is there are parallel truths. Postural drainage goes like this, and we're speaking about breath, or we're speaking about spirit. Postural drainage is where you adapt a posture in order to clear your breath or clear your lungs so that you don't get infection. And ultimately, the infection doesn't take root and it doesn't lead to death. And so there is a posture that stops us getting infected by our choices and by our sin and ultimately leading to spiritual death. And that posture is humility, buying. And see, God wants his people to humble themselves before him because that's the position and the posture of a child of God who just submits himself to this loving father. Okay, so this morning, I want us to stick in this one in, my, in your head. Come alive. Okay, am I speaking it over the room? Yes. Am I speaking it into my own life? Yes. Come alive. Okay, so come alive. This nation that we're talking about is a prodigal nation. And to truly get the glimpse of this, you have to view it through the prodigal son story. Because this, we don't live in the Old Testament, we live in the New. And the prodigal son is this picture of a father whose son comes to him and says, Dad, die, I want my money now so I can go and do whatever I want. The son goes, he does his choices, he, he lives whatever way he wants, he thinks it's all good for a while. And then he hits a place where he realizes he's got no money, no friends. He's ran out of choices for a start. The thing that he wanted to empower himself with, he no longer has any options to. And he comes to this place and he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I don't want him to make me back to be a son. I'm happy just to be a servant in his home. He goes back humble. And his father goes, come on, kid. I want you to be my son. He just puts his arms around him, loves him, parties over him, and just says, come on home. And so whenever we're reading this story of a prodigal nation, we have to see it through the revelation of a father who doesn't stand back and say, run to me, but a father who runs to us. A prodigal nation called home. A prodigal God of endless mercy and unrelenting love.
I have an illustration here this morning, and I feel like a, like a cartoon character of some sort, and this is my secret power. So this is a bone. Um, some of you will know that I had a hip replacement about four months ago. And this is not the hip, okay, so. Okay, so this is a bone, and, and why, it's wrapped in cling film, by the way, because, ugh, um, why do I have a bone here? Because I want you to see a bone. Now, you might think, well, I've seen bones. But no, I want you to look at the context of what we're talking about here, a bone. Uh, the question I want to ask you this morning, is it easier to bring life to a stone or a bone? And, and I look at both of them and go, huh. No, we read the New Testament, we think of Jesus. Uh, and in John 5, no, we, we know that Jesus, there was this guy lying by a pool called Bethesda, and, and he can't move and he can't walk. And it's like, Jesus comes over and says to him, take up your bed and walk. And you think to yourself, that's brilliant. And if somebody said to me, no, can, can Jesus raise somebody out of a sick bed or out of a wheelchair or out of those things. I believe 100% in medicine and I believe 100% in the miraculous power of God. So can I? Yes, he can. Okay, when I think of Jairus' daughter, I know the sleeping daughter that everybody's like, she's not sleeping, she's dead. And Jesus walks in and he says, get up, wake up. Now, if somebody asked me and said, can Jesus raise someone at 12 years of age from the, the dead? No, she's just died. Can Jesus do that? I read the scriptures and I go, absolutely. Come on. And what about Lazarus? I'm going to just drop this or something. What about Lazarus? Lazarus, uh, he, he's the guy who's been dead for f four days. And it's like in a tomb, four days. A bit of decomposing going on there, do you know, and, we're going well this morning, aren't we? We've had hers and her food, decomposing bodies. And, and, and well, can Jesus raise the dead four days? And I look at that and go, yes, because that's the moment that Jesus declared himself as the resurrection power. And yes, he can. Dead four days in the grave, can he raise him? Yes, he can. But can he do anything with this? Say faith, <laughs> can he? Because that's the question that Ezekiel was asked. No, can I bring life from these bones? And, and well, Ezekiel's reply is like, well, only you know that God. No, it's like those prayers you pray when someone asks you to pray for something and you go, well, God, according to your will, you know, could you pray that, you no, know, I'll get that job interview? And you're thinking, there's no way you're getting that job interview. Uh, and then somebody says to you, no, like, I really fancy that guy. And you're thinking, there's no way he's going to go out with you. And well, let God's will be done. And Ezekiel's doing this, let God's will be done. God, only you know and what I love about this is because we discover that God's word has the power to dress a bone 
into a human and fill it with the Holy Spirit and so that they together can become an army to transform the nations of the world. The power of God's word. See, the ultimate goal here is that people would be restored into a relationship and become spirit-filled. We have this moment of being filled with the spirit and coming alive to the word of God. And they were never meant to compete with each other. I wrote down here, the word and the spirit, well, it wasn't meant to divide us, but revive us. It's the combination of God's word and God's spirit that puts an army alive by his spirit on this earth. Dry bones, come alive, come alive. So are there any dry bones in here this morning? No, we've had a few like, amen, you know, God, you can dress these bones. Are there any dry bones in the room? Because whenever I was thinking about these dry bones, there's so many directions you can take this. Oh, no, ancient faith that you can, living in the past, you can, you can throw in so many different avenues. But the avenue that I want to focus on in the morning is that, this morning is this process. Now, whenever what started to happen is that Ezekiel started to prophesy to the bones, and we're told that the bones started to come together. Now, what we have to understand is that there are certain bones in your body that if they don't come together, they will never hear. You've got these middle ear bones that, that sort of brings in and amplifies the sound. You've got the cochlea that sorts out the, the frequency. And then from there, it's transferred to the brain stem and into the brain for translation. But without the bones aligned, you will never hear. Now, what does that mean for you and I? Well, the first thing that I thought of was, some of you may know them, my mother and father-in-law. Now, my mother and father-in-law um, recently got hearing aids. Now, they're very discreet, and you would never have known that they got them until I told you this morning. <sighs> I think they're somewhere. God bless you. I'm just hoping they haven't got them turned on. So, um, <sighs> But I have a mom and dad who my mom will say, he needs a hearing aid. Okay, this is the conversation. Your dad needs a hearing aid. And I'll say, you need a hearing aid. She'll say, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. He needs a hearing aid. My dad will say, she needs a hearing aid. And I'll say, you need a hearing aid. And he'll say, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. She needs a hearing aid. And so the pattern goes on. Now, I want us to take a moment to think about this. What does it look like if we just don't want to align ourselves into a position where we actually want to hear the voice of God as a starting point? Okay, forget moving on to the flesh. Forget moving on to that bodily form. What would it look like if we were just those people who refused to put our hearing aids in? You know, Pastor Stephen, I wish you'd turn that up. I can't hear you. Well, I wish you'd put your hearing aid in so I don't have to turn it up. Now, what would it look like if we were all prepared to put ourselves in the position where before we talk about awakening or revival or the breath of God coming into our spirits, 
What would it look like if we were just prepared to put ourselves in a place to hear his voice? The whisper of God. The next stage is they, well, they start to have tendons and muscles, and I'm just thinking of myself here. More muscles. Yeah. More muscles. No. <laughs> and body coming together in this shape, in this form. And we have here this, and I think this is the most dangerous place to be if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. See, what happens here is you have someone who looks alive, but they couldn't be any more dead. Let's just let that one sink in a moment. You look the part. You look like you're all together. You, you look like, yeah, let, let's to stand healthy, strong. But this is a picture of flesh. It's just flesh, and it's all about flesh. Flesh. I, I, I'd love to be honest for a moment, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you're a pastor. You should be honest all the time. But, but what I've realized as a pastor is you have different degrees of honesty, no, there's the honesty of like, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. We'll not go too far. We'll sort of land it about there. And then there's the honesty of, let's just take a moment. You see, if this is a picture of flesh, it's flesh feeding flesh. Uh, now, I want to preface this by um, saying that God has made us tripartite beings, no body, soul, and spirit. And that there's something we need to do with our spirit as well as our, our soul. And, 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 and our soul needs fed. Our soul needs relaxation. Our, our soul needs friendship. And our soul needs hanging out with friends. Our soul needs laughter. Our soul needs recreation. And our, our soul needs all of those things. So whenever I'm saying this, I, I'm not saying we totally deny the flesh. And you might think, this is church. We're supposed to totally deny the flesh. I'm not talking about our fleshy desires. I'm talking about our soul because what I've realized, and I'm highlighting this because there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world. There's a whole lot of stuff goes on. The reality is that if we don't look after our soul and do the things that our soul requires, like a day off, like rest and relaxation and all of those things, that it will still require it. And if we don't feed it in the open, the likelihood is we'll feed it in the dark. And then rounded spiritual people who are spirit-filled and going for God and trying to live this selfless life, but because they don't actually take time for their soul, it gets fed in the dark instead of the light. I just want to land that there a moment. See, the flesh is about me. So here's the, here's the thing. I'm going to throw out some, some things, Okay. And I want to preface this with this quote. Pastor, you don't understand. I've got no time to do these things you keep telling me about. Okay. Game of Thrones. I don't know many seasons there are, but Game of Thrones. Narcos, season one, two, and three. Flash, I'm just wanting to throw in some DC sort of world there. Stranger Things, great show. Mindhunter, The Witcher, The Crown. Derry Girls. Line of Duty, Manhunt, Better Call Saul, FBI, 
greys. I just won for the middle-aged old men in the front row, Michael. Gold rush. Yeah. People are like, what? Now, why am I throwing out these things? It's because of this. I've got no time for to do these things. I've got no time to be hungry for God. I've got no time to feed my spirit. I've got no time to chase him with a hunger. But I do have time for this. See, when you're talking about the word of God, do we have time for like season one of Genesis? I'll be good. Uh, Season two of Kings. Now, what would it look like if we, no, lamentations. Is that in the Bible? I hear you ask. No, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Kings, Psalms. See, no, when you're scheduling your plan for what you're going to watch this year, no, on demand for what I can feed my flesh with and my soul with. Again, I want to preface that with it's okay to do some of that stuff, but do we put a plan in place for God? For him, prayer, heaven help us. Our worlds are demanded with so much. So much is grabbing for us. It's so easy to feed our soul. But it's our spirit that brings life. We get to this last stage and we have... Um, the breath of God, the spirit of God. And I want to say this to you this morning, that God's end game is an army of spirit-filled people who will be his people and will be a blessing to the nations of the world. That's the end game. Now, until the whole earth and everyone on it is spirit-filled, overflowing in the blessings of God to the nations of the world, our job doesn't stop. Now, if you're wondering what is God's calling for your life, what is it you should be doing this week? What is it you should be part of in the kingdom of God? Well, if you can add to that, then you're doing good. Spirit-filled. I love how Ezekiel hears the word of the Lord and God says, I see an army. It's not an isolated hero. It's a spirit-filled army. And again, I bring this back to our context of culture where we are encouraged to build our own personal profile. And a profile is this. It's an outline of who you are. And determining on how you shape that outline will really determine how people fill in the pieces. And we live in a culture where we're about shaping our profile so that people can fill in the pieces and try to determine from that how well our lives are really doing. But what God is trying to do here is not raise your profile, it's trying to raise an army. Because he is not really that worried about the outline because if you read your Bible, we're all supposed to look like Jesus. He is worried about what fills it. And when we read this, the end goal is to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. See, we can call out. I I said earlier on that God said, I will. Uh, So 
to the heart of the stone and to the heart, of, who will give a heart of flesh? God says, I will. To people who have no home, God says, I will give you a home. To people who have no father, I will give you a father. To people who feel like they don't belong, God says, I will make you belong. To those who say, well, I have no power in my life, well, God says, I will give you the power of Christ in your life. In fact, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You're young people, you're gonna have visions. You're old guys, you're gonna have dreams. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh, on male and on female. You're gonna prophesy when you're filled with my spirit. See, breath matters, and we're gonna bring it around in a moment. And why does breath really matter? Well, the first time I realized breath really mattered was in a maths class at Grosvenor whenever I was there. And that was weird. Like, whenever I was there, implied I wasn't always there. It's true. Um, and I was talking in class, and that's what I did best. That was my, like, I would have aced that subject every time. Talking, talking, talking. And my maths teacher kept saying to me, Thompson, shut up. Oh, okay, okay. And so I thought like months had passed, turned out seconds had passed, and I would start talking again, and, and I would keep on talking. And these were the good old days. No, bring back the good old days. Nonsense. Um, when the teacher then, after about four or five times, walked up, put his elbows on the table in front of me, put his two thumbs on the side of my windpipe, squeezed my windpipe together, and said, Thompson, shut up. That was the first moment I realized that breath mattered. <laughs> and you see, breath really does matter. I, I've got a key here that I, I wore, and it was given to me while I was in the hospital. And it has the word breathe on it, or breath. And what I've realized is that it's not about a physical breath, it's about a spiritual breath. And we can breathe as much as we want, but until we are filled with the breath of God, we are not truly alive. Have you ever had a sense that, well, you'd lost your breath? In the year 2000, I've, I think I've maybe mentioned this once before in church, and I was in Kenya I was on a missions trip. I was seeing God do amazing things. It was the first time I'd ever seen like God open blind eyes. It was like, what? It happened once. I'm, not, I'm, I'm making sure I don't want it to sound like it was happening everywhere once. And I was like, no way. All these things were happening, but something in me felt spiritually dead. And I, I went to, there was a, like an old church and it was made out of just old wood and stuff that was, and I went and I, I went into this place and I found an old hymn book. I, I, I'm not a big hymn guy, um, but if anybody knows me, even with everything else that we sing, I can never remember any of the words anyhow, do you know? And I, and I started to open this hymn book and there was this old hymn and for some reason I could remember it and it was a hymn called it was on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. And I can remember in that moment that I fell on my knees before that cross and I cried out to God and said, 
fill me. And he did. A number of years ago, um, I had this vision and it was part of my calling into ministry. And within that vision, I had a sense that God put a staff in my hand, just like no Moses, a staff. And I knew it was a call to leadership. Now, wind forward about six, seven, eight years, and leadership had just been... And I found myself on Port Stewart Strand, and I was walking along Port Stewart Strand on the beach, and I was just praying. And as I'm praying, I, I found these words, God, I feel like I've lost my, my staff. I feel like what you've put in my life, my anointing, my calling, and I knew that God's calling and anointing, he doesn't take them away. I knew that stuff, but I just had that sense of God, what's going on? And I cried out, God, give me back my staff. And in that moment, I heard God say, look down. And as I looked down, there was a piece of driftwood just perfectly as a staff right in front of my feet. And I picked it up. And I determined that day to never, ever let go of what God has put in my life. See, the goal is not to look the part. The goal is not just to hear the voice of God. See, the word of God goes through into us and he, he builds us, he creates in us. But the ultimate goal is to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. And why do I share these things? Because, well, Smith Wigglesworth put it way better than I ever could. A man filled with the Holy Spirit is no longer an ordinary man. And I don't want to live an ordinary life. And you see, if you're a bag of bones, you're living an ordinary life. If you're a walking flesh-eating zombie, just feed me flesh, 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 flesh. You're living an ordinary life. but there is a father who just like, come on home, come on. But father, I'm happy just to be a slave. Not at all, not for a minute. You're my son, you're my daughter, come on. Come on, let's party, you're home. So this morning, can these bones live? Well, we talk about Joseph, how he came from the prison to the palace. That's lovely, isn't it? It's just beautiful. I've used it as well. It's just like, oh, that just fits. But the reality is, none of us came from the prison. We all came from the grave. We're all a bag of bones without Jesus. We're dead in our sin but in Christ we are alive. Now, if you're alive in Christ, then you can't go back to the grave. We can't go back to the grave. But we can 
become the bones, become the flesh. And we can live a life in our own strength and not the Spirit's power. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, I think it leaves us in a place where we have to pursue the Spirit of God in a way that is hungry and like, I want to live. I, I want to be everything that God has for me. I, I'm, I'm not happy just to, to live ordinary. I want to live extraordinary. I, I'm not talking about I want a platform and I want a title and all of those things. I just want to live in a way that I bring glory to Jesus and to his kingdom. I, I want that. And the beauty is that God says, I will pour out my spirit on you. That's the promise. And so in this space this morning, I'm going to ask everyone to just stand to their feet. I want you to think of the good news that comes from this sense of come alive. No, come alive. So those prodigals in your world, those people who are far from God, come alive. No, those people that just seem so, no way will they ever be anything in God, come alive. But then we look at ourselves. Come alive. Come alive. Hi everyone, thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.